2: Uh, that's the second time it has gone on. They never got home, they never got home, they never got home, those
0: boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but
3: I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Good luck.
2: So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Tears from Bubba before first Masters win was followed by another Masters win. The tears were flowing there, but for the first time in
0: long enough, it's tears of joy for the United States.
1: We need to start more Irish Times Second Captains podcast with the tears of random sports people. That's still that's still going.
4: Thank you so much. Who is that?
5: that? That's uh, Bubba Watson. uh, Yeah, hugging. His captain, Davis, the man who uh, decided not to pick him in a pretty humiliating move, uh, considering Bubba Watson's like number seven in the world. Uh, but then the that's how
1: much America means to Bubba Watson. Can
5: God is great. God <laughs> is great, Davis. That's what he said. Or God is great, captain. I think he said. Uh, Would you believe he's a
1: big fan of Trump? Oh, I is can, that surprising? I yeah. Can't believe that. Tears are what have defined the sporting weekend just gone. Not just the tears of that idiot, but of thousands upon thousands of men and women from Ballyhaunus to Bell Mullet who were blubbing their way from Crow Park on Saturday. It's producer Mark Horgan in for Owen uh, for today's show alongside Murph and Ken. Hello there, Mark. Uh, Murph, I met you at about 9pm on Saturday night, and I must admit, I did question whether your emotive description of the scene you had just departed from croke Park was a result of you once again being cruelly overserved in the establishments around the stadium. But it <laughs> seems with your eyes uncrossed today uh, before me that you're I still s- as taken aback by the emotion that was expressed at uh, uh, the final whistle <clears> on Saturday.
5: Well, leaving aside the uh, hateful, uh, vitriolic attack on my uh, person there, I, I, th- I think it's probably best for us just to move on. Just get back to reporting, Mark, don't you think? Um. Yes, there. I was standing outside the Hogan Stand pub, where, where I often go after a post match pint. Um, standing there, discussing the game. Actually, I say discussing the game. Oftentimes, when I go to the pub after a, an Ireland final or something like that, I have my ear cocked to hear an angle on the game that I hadn't, you know, in the ebb and flow of the game that I hadn't really noticed myself. I didn't. There wasn't one person saying anything about the game that went beyond. Oh my god It's happened again That's all basically I heard But there was a guy Standing directly behind me About maybe 55 60 years old uh, A Mayo jersey And nothing else on uh, A little sort of Well something The bottom half Oh yeah But I mean uh, No jacket of any Description jumper Or anything of that nature uh, Even though it was Quite a cold October Mm. evening And uh, he was staring out Onto the road Onto the North Circular And uh, You know Not saying anything Not really conversing With anyone And then, about maybe ten minutes after that, after I first noticed him, uh, his two grown-up sons walked uh, kind of towards him. And the two of them had been crying, uh, judging by their faces, uh, commenced to restart crying once they saw their father. And then their father, I presume it was their father.
1: Respectable, sober individuals.
5: Yeah. uh, He started crying. And then there it was, me just standing kind of awkwardly about two feet from three grown men crying their eyes out, and uh, kind of got to the stage where you're thinking this isn't enjoyable anymore and mm. I mean, you know, it sounds facetious and stupid to say that losing an Ireland final could ever be enjoyable in any real sense, but this whole the whole journey, the whole idea that you get to an Ireland final means you've won a lot of games, you've drawn an Ireland final you're living, you're really living for the time an amazing
1: occasion out of Croke Park Yeah,
5: but there, that has... I mean, I'm, I'm, I met someone at half time and she had ceased enjoying the game. She At no stage was she enjoying the game. And basically all she wanted, like this sort of, sort of like a grey pallor came over her. And all you could see was, you know, if you, if you offered her this sort of be a Baracus, you know, get knocked out and wake up 40 minutes later. And one way or another, the result has happened. She would be relieved that she could, that that option was available to her. That's how little meal people are enjoying this now
1: I think this pain is captured best by Midwest Radio again here's the commentary of Mike Finerty, John Casey and Billy Fitzpatrick of the closing stages of the match and it proves that the more heartbroken the commentators the more dramatic it sounds
0: Held up by the first Dublin tackle. Mike. It's a free to Mayo. Oh, Morris Deegan is playing the advantage. No advantage of Cruz. Free oh, to Mayo. Jesus. About 35 yards as the crow flies from ball to crossbar. And oh, Killian my. O'Connor for the second time in two weeks is handed the responsibility of kicking a score that surely will force this game to extra time. It's a free. It's out of his hands. It's all over to Himbley. Oh, oh can Talk, Mike. <laughs> Mike. what a proc, what a But Simon's had a chance to wrap it up. Killian O'Connor. Come on, Killian. He's about 35 yards as the crow flies. He's going to kick it out of his hands. He hasn't missed a free all day. Killian shoots. Oh. He's hooked it away to the left and wide. His first miss comes in the final minute of injury time. And is that to be all she wrote for Mayo? Is it to be another tale of broken hearts... And another sorrowful mystery. It's all over. It's just not meant to be. It's just not meant to be for Mayo. They fought the good fight. They're carried out on their shields. But for Mayo, it's a story of second best one more time. Dublin wins. To back all Ireland titles for Mayo they'll win friends they'll win admirers one more time but the long long wait goes on it's not to be like. that's,
2: that's, 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 that's,
0: the sound of the old triangle rings out around Crowe Park tears streaming down Mayo faces all around us they gave us some game, they gave us some adventure this summer again and they tried everything they knew Dublin worthy winners in the end by a single point and there's no doubt about it John Casey there are ways to lose All-Ireland Finals and God knows we know better than anybody that story but the way Mayo have lost it today it's up there with the worst of them sorry it is Mike Jesus, there's nothing between them two teams absolutely nothing them fellas now have three All-Ireland medals in their arse pockets and what have we Mike it's unbelievable is there ever a, a God going to smile on us I mean Killian because Unreal from the freeze. I mean, left it to the bitter end. He's going to take that one home with a Mike. That's all he's going to remember. Robbie dropping the ball, the penalty. Ah, give us a break. Give us a break. For God's sake, that team deserves something, Mike. And that's just not... I mean, Dublin Dublin, and Mayo. There hasn't been a kick of the ball. Draws, draws, replays. Dublin snatching it by the minimum margins, And... The slightest little bit of luck It's just hard to take Now my heart bleeds For that team out there And then look at them That's, that's
1: tough going Mike The sadness of that commentary Really isn't helped By the backing track Of the old triangle By <laughs> yeah, the way Ken <laughs> Kennedy, happened
2: Kennedy, to Kennedy
1: was sniggering Throughout that whole thing By the way
2: Yeah Whatever happened to He thought to it? it was hilarious Yeah Yeah, That is a classic It would take a heart of stone Not to laugh no. Mom and I'm afraid That's back I'm sorry but You know okay. But you... well, maybe it's just A defence mechanism Mm. You know, I have to, I have to laugh because otherwise it would just hurt too much (laughs) to listen to that audio.
5: Whatever happened to, you know, tonight's going to be a good, I've temporarily forgotten the name of the band in question, the Black Eyed Peas. Mm. Whatever happened to that when the final whistle goes? Like the Owl Triangle. Like there are male people, 82,000 people, whatever, 35,000 of them from male, all trying and failing to keep it together. And then they hear one of the great dirges of Irish traditional music. Dublin dirge. Dublin, yeah, Dublin's own dirge, but um, yeah, God, it yeah, it's like looking back on it now. I mean, it was an extraordinary event to be at. Uh, really, like like a huge atmosphere before the game started, like absolutely huge atmosphere, huge noise, huge everything. And then you know, you just kind of you think you know the the game is just going to go a certain way, and there'll be a winner. And then it's never that way with Mayo. Like it was so seldom that way with Mayo that. You know, it, say the 2013 final is actually the exception in ways, where Dublin were just kind of better throughout the day and they ended up winning the game. It was only by a point, but Dublin were still definitely the better team. I mean, it, it only Mayo do this to their fans. You know, this level of theatre, this level of what-ifs and scapegoats and refereeing decisions that they can, you know, piss and moan about for five or six months. You know, like... That's, that's the killer like it, it it doesn't have to be this dramatic every time and yet it is for them and that's the that's the horrible thing
1: Ken would you agree that the one thing we can all agree on is the curse of 51 is to blame here again
2: well Mark sure even up on the hill we were all hoping he stuck that one over the bar we weren't ah. ready to go home you know I turns and I says to Puds are all too these poor afflicted fellas it's like they're wallowing in it at this stage they must be addicted to it this is what gargle is to some fellas losing <laughs> is to them lads sure it's the first back-to-back for the dubs in 77, says Pudzer, when Heffo gave us back our pride. It is, says I, though with a sense of foreboding that he's raised the subject of Heffo. I know we can get fierce so awkward whenever the subject of Heffo comes up. Sure enough, I can see there's something agitating, Pudzer, twitching and pulling faces like he's swallowed a wasp. Eventually he can hold it in no longer. Your man, this poor old Mayo Bowler who missed, he says. What about him, says I? Heffo now, says Pudzer. Heffo would have told him. Aim that for the far post. That way, <laughs> the curl will bring it in. That he would, says I. Bloody right. Bloody right, says he. Whatever you do, don't miss on the near side. Hefo would have drummed that into him. Hefo took a poor view of any man that would miss on the near side, <laughs> says he. He wouldn't give the fluff off his bum for a man that would miss on the near side. I was walking on, and I knew he needed no encouragement. A man could miss on the far side as much as he likes, says there. But anyone who dared to miss on the near side was hiding a bag of bricks and thrown into Spencer Dock. That was Hefo's way, <laughs> says he. Putscher was like a dog with a bone. So I definitely moved to change the subject. I said, and aren't these That's great, but they've still a way to go to match up to the men of 23, says I. 23? says Pudzer. Twen- 1923. The 1923 Pete, says I. Now, those were some men, some characters. Where are they now, says Pudzer. And he's forgotten all <laughs> about the near side and the far side. They were, says I. For instance, one of the best players at that time was Eddie the Dandy O'Dwyer. So called because of his handsome looks and his fine clothes. The Dandy was a beautifully made man and to see him kicking points from all angles was a splendid sight. Well, the Dandy worked in Henry White's clothes factory above on Drury Street. That's why he was always so course, dapper, yeah. you see. But one day his hand got caught in one of the big machines and when he pulled it out there was only a few tatters and giblets left. Pitiful sight. Well, he fell into a black mood and bundled up the giblets in a flannel and took the cobo to England and we all thought he'd never be back. But then he turns up at the start of the next championship and in the place where the hand used to be, he's got a hook. Of course there was hemming and hawing from the county board, how he is going to catch balls and... Kick points with only one good hand, but he looked back at them with a fierce, determined look in his eye. This man had given so much to Dublin football, there was no question of leaving him out. So in he went, a cornerback. But God, if the dandy didn't become one of the most respected hardshaws in the game, many's the time it'd be looking dicey for the dubs the dandy'd rush in there before you know it the Malay would clear you'd see a meadman or a carryman lying there opened up from gullet to gizzard guts spilling out everywhere the dandy walking away wiping the hook on his knickerbockers <laughs> so there was no TV cameras in them days and the game wasn't you know there was none of this Joe Brody saying you can't do this you can't do that you understood it was a contact sport no quarter with 120,000 on the hill they dragged the man off call a free ball that'd be the end of it there's always a bit of grouse from the other team Colin and McGurray or and Evil Eddie and the Summerhill Ripper and all sorts, but he lat- just tapped the All-Ireland medals on his chest with the hook and they back off. <laughs> Later, of course, he went off without Duffy to Spain. He never came back. But on the hill, we never forgot the dandy. But by then, we were nearly at a certain place, you know and I know, and we stopped to wet the whistle. The porter probably tasted this good back in 23, 23, 77, 16. It's always a golden year for the dubs. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the best of all. I think it might favorites. be, Ken.
6: The
5: dandy, how come we haven't heard of the dandy before? <clears throat> <clears throat> Obviously played a key role in your upbringing.
2: Just the, you know, the, dark, the darkness of the way things went, you know, becoming you know, so big in the blue shirts, mm. going, off to, going off to fight against, Fra- uh, not against Franco, for Franco. You know, and it sort of cast a bit of a pall over the later years. Don't view this as
1: a criticism, but that was a bumper, fair view. It was. It was lengthy, but we enjoyed it, Ken. I'm surprised you were just able to pass your, uh, push your way into Biddy Early snug uh, past Murph at the time actually did. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> to see all those goings on. When the whistle blew my head filled with happiness not for the dubs winning Sam but with Father Ignatius and Rashers O'Toole said Sheehan on hmm. uh, Twitter immediately after the match. And it was also about another 40 tweets along those lines. Uh, Nothing to do with the show just to do a fair view. Just review.
5: a fair view. We 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 played it early now, so all of you who are just Fairview fans, will I suppose we'll see you next next year for uh, for the next edition of the Fairview. Yeah, if there
2: if there is another edition. Oh Ken, don't worry about that.
1: We're going to come back to the Ryder Cup and golfers turning into wrestlers with the always brilliant Lawrence Donigan a little later in the show. But Mike Quirk and Ushie McConville join us now. How are you doing, lads? Good. Uh, Oshin, you sent me a WhatsApp message after Saturday's match saying uh, Mayo are their own worst enemy. Were you referring to the lack of respect the 51 Mayo team showed that funeral ceremony in Foxford or specifically (laughs) stakes on Saturday? (laughs) Let's Uh, cut to the chase.
4: Oh, Jesus. Straight in there, Mark. Um, Why are they their own worst enemies? I mean, look, at. let's get straight on as the goalkeeper. I mean, it's a massive call to bring bring Rob Henley in uh, and it just didn't work out for them. And as a manager, I think Michael agree with me. Mean, sometimes you get a hunch and sometimes you just go with it. And it's very hard for, to, you know, ridicule Stephen Roche for that much. And I know that uh, the last day of the drawing game, that Mayo had a thing in their head that we're going to bring Henley on for the last 10 minutes and hopefully mm. get a free and he was going to kick it and we're going to win the game. Uh, but Clark. Like some, A male man actually come up to me before the game, and, and this is the truth, to tell me that uh, that Henley was in and Clark was out. And his biggest worry was, and this is the truth, uh, his biggest worry was that they had robbed Clark of his All-Star. Mm. And I'm thinking, you got bigger problems than that. Do you know what I mean? Uh, trying to get this male team over the lane. But... uh he just had a, he just had a, he had a really poor game, and he cost meo time after time after time. Um, there's lots of big talking points, lots of big incidents from the game, the Keegan incident, the Cooper incident. We're probably not going to go black card again because mm. we've talked to the death. Yep. But it's a ridiculous rule that that is spoiling big big games for us at this stage, and um, it was a massive call to, to get Keegan off for what looked like v- very, very little. Very, very little.
5: Um, Mike, I, su- I suppose we'll... Just to stay on the goalkeeper for a second, Rochford said after the game um, that it was kick-out related, that Clark was w- Clark was better as a short kick-out taker, but that Dublin had put such pressure on the short kick-outs that Henley was going to give them a better option with the longer-range uh, kick-outs. Um, it seemed bizarre to me beforehand... Uh, and when you think Henley started against Galway and shipped a terrible uh, goal, uh, that Tom Flynn's goal for Galway that day came from a very bad kick-out, it seemed bizarre beforehand, it seemed bizarre afterwards. I mean, you know, and it's the goalkeeper. I mean, you know, if you've got a doubt about a corner forward or a corner back, you say, right, well, if the guy that I put in doesn't work out after 40 minutes, I can change it. I mean, it's the goalkeeper. I mean, you're not going to change that. You know, it's it's a decision that you, it's just set in stone and that Why is it? Well, I mean well the idea would be that if you take your goalkeeper off after after say if Henley had given away the penalty and he didn't get a black card but gave away the penalty, to take off your goalkeeper at that stage would might seem that that would destabilize the situation even further. I don't know what, what you think of that, Mike, but Yeah.
6: Like I think I think, you know, and, and it, it obviously was the most obvious, most significant thing that people are hanging their head on and say this was a crazy move. Um, But we don't know what they're doing inside in training. Obviously, he must have been doing something in training that they really liked. They must have thought he was really accurate. He must have been hitting all these guys all the time. And and they're obviously making a judgment call on on what they can see in training. We just don't have, you know, we can't see that, what, what they're looking at. So there must have been some logical reason that they were looking at coming from the training pitch, coming from practice games that they were saying this guy is the sharper kicker of the two and and this could be something that could give us an edge in a, in a possible one point game and you know it's obviously it didn't work out for him but even even with his kickouts and and the lack of accuracy in the first half they still got themselves to the point of they were mm. a point up at the time when he, he let the ball go through his hands for the penalty so it wasn't really his kickouts that had got them into trouble it was it was probably a lack of match sharpness and you know, just that was a, that was a gimme, easy ball, easy catch, cleared out with a hand pass, and it's gone up the field, and it turned into you know a major, major problem, and and obviously black card and penalty and stuff. So I, I just think the kickouts, yes, they, they they were an issue and they and they, they hurt him a little bit, but they had recovered from it and they had moved on, and it was just a handling error really that 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 murdered him in the finish, you know. And I know people are going to hammer Rochford now for it and say it was a bad call, and ultimately it was. But I just I don't I don't like if they saw something and they they believed it was the right call and they went with it, you know I I don't think really we can we can hammer him too much on that one you
4: know. No, I I agree with that. The only thing I would say is that I didn't realize until I watched the game back just how how bad his kickers were and how many opportunities that he gave Dublin. Okay, Dublin didn't um, make the most of those opportunities, but they had a huge amount of opportunities early on. Every time we kicked the ball out, was going, <gasps> what are you yeah, doing? See, see,
5: this is it. I mean, th- th- that's as well why you don't change your goalkeeper, because it is so destabilising. You know, the, like, the, if you change a guy like the, obviously there's pressure on Michael Fitzsimons coming in to the Dublin team yeah. or Paddy Andrews or uh, Paul Mannion or whatever, but you change the goalkeeper. I mean, the first kick-out is all of a sudden a huge moment in the game where he, if he loses this kick-out, then Dublin get a surge of confidence from that. I mean, that's what happened. I mean, yeah. in the first ten or fifteen minutes, his kickouts were terrible, and put and put Mayo under an awful lot of pressure.
4: That, without a doubt. And you know what? Uh, For coming into the into the corner back was probably the only switch that really really worked. Mannion was completely out of the game. Andrews was completely out of the game. Now, uh, on the flip side of that, Brogan looked lively when he came on and kicked the point, point. And then obviously Costello coming coming in. Um, kicking three points was, you know, was a was a positive thing, but the likes of Mannion and Andrews, who had that opportunity, I thought were really, really poor as well from a, from a Dublin point of view.
1: Just before we move on from Henley, and he's obviously the clear scapegoat, and even if it wasn't the final as of such importance for Mayo, you'd feel sorry for any individual that gets deconstructed and blamed for one major howler, which people are going to look back upon. How did you lads feel as players when your own? Um, games or the games your teammates were criticised really heavily back in the day did you think it was, it was kind of how's that changed now but would you have thought that amateur players getting criticised really harshly is, um, is unfair or do you think if you're on the pitch that you're kind of open to criticism and open to harsh analysis
4: you know, I, the one thing I, I, I do hate hearing is the amateur thing mm. uh, Amateur player, so what? Doesn't that that to me doesn't really matter if he's amateur or not? Well, it's
1: something you sign up for. It's it's part of the game. If you're a professional, if you're a professional sports person, you're getting well paid for it. You know this is part of the deal. Well, uh, yeah,
4: when you sign I, up. I understand that, Mark. But it, it is a choice. You know, we do mm-hmm. make a choice. At the same time, you know, we make a choice what sport we go for. We make a choice if we're going to see it through. These guys have all seen it through. How Did you feel
1: I? that like that when you were a player? Yeah,
4: I felt like mm-hmm. I as a player. And you know what, we were beating the club challenger last night. 45, we were two points up, game time up. A floated 50, went into a 45 went into the square, and, and the other team fisted the ball into the net. And you know what? People say you be sicker almost, you know, having gone through that or losing in that way. You just say, you, uh, for me, last night I just walked away and I said, that's just sometimes the way sport crumbles. And that's just sometimes the way, um, you know, we've, we've won lots of games, I guess. Do you know what I mean? If I, if I, as a as a teammate of a player who's getting serious stick down through the years, and I have played with players who've got stick down through the years, who got stick myself at times, but uh, you just got to suck it up, and everybody gets behind that person. And you know what? You know, it, sometimes that can help an individual, depending on the mindset. You know, if you take stick and you're able to take it on the chin, if you're able to learn from the defeat and learn from what you're doing and move on. The only thing is. I would say things have changed a lot from even from when I played and that like I last played but Arma Championship two thousand and eight. So we're talking about eight years ago. The microscope now is you know, is is so intense. It's so much more than it was even six, seven years ago. And he's getting vilified on social media and uh, I'm not on social media but like, you know, I'm aware of the fact that he's taking a bit of stick, he's taking it through the paper. But like if you have a bad game, sometimes you just gotta you gotta take it on the chin, and you gotta say, look, you know, I did have. A, he know, he he'll know, he'll know in his heart of hearts, you know, just how bad he was in that game, how much he he cost me over times. But do you know what? He, he he's this. If he's a strong character, if he's a strong character, then he has the opportunity to turn that completely on his head over the next twelve months, and that's the opportunity you have as a sportsperson, and and it can be cruel sometimes, like can be really really cruel. I, I went to that game and, and you know what, I was in was neutral and and all that there and I was just analysing it, not analysing it but watching the, the game for what it was and I really enjoyed the majority of the game except for I was sitting behind five Mayo supporters and it it was almost like their life, this was going to shape their life for the next, I don't know, next year or 12 months or whatever it is. They were so passionate about it. Every time Mayo scored, the five of them got together and, and I hugged them. These were grown men, do you know what I mean? And it, it just meant that much to them. But I was just, uh, you know, halfway through the game was going, I just, I just hope Mayo get over the line mm. for these five people in front of me as much as for, you know, the rest of the 40,000 supporters, the players and all that sort of thing. But it's just, sometimes it's just, not gonna happen for you, and it, it, if it keeps happening and keeps knocking your back, people say, "Ah, that'll be the end of this Mayo team. Mayo will be back next year in the semi final or the final." You know what I mean? And they'll be there or thereabouts. If as a as a, a man from Armagh, or even from Ulster, when I watched those two teams, how physical they were, you know, how athletic they were, and how under pressure a lot of the time they were able to do the right thing. There was mistakes made. Don't get me wrong. We could not, in any way, shape or form, compete with that at the minute and that, for me, is, the mo- is one of the most sickening things that comes out of Saturday.
5: Yeah, and I, I think anyone watching it from any other county, I mean, I mean, what I thought was interesting was Dublin's uh, reversion. I don't know what you thought of this now, Mike, but I thought Dublin did try and revert as much as possible to a running game. Um, you know, McMenamin picked up the ball a lot deeper than he had done in the drawn game, for instance. And the punishment they took trying to run the ball through Mayo, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I say we're we're talking about county allegiance here. If you are from Kerry, watching that, I mean, I think the blueprint is there for Kerry that that they just need to learn how to tackle better. They need to learn how to defend better, and that's what Mayo have shown everyone else that Dublin's running game can be stopped if you are athletic enough to actually just run with them.
6: Yeah, but those guys aren't easily found. I don't know, Murph. you know, those Lee Keegan's and Colin Biles and 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 Durkin. I think is is going to be an unbelievable player in the next in the next ten years. You know, they've come, like they have they have those kind of legs and 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 that athleticism that other counties just don't have. You know, uh, and 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 I know we've said it before, but you know. It's just they're just blessed with a collection of those guys who who are just so aggressive and physical and 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 dynamic and and, and able to play a ball in as well on the other side of it they're not just they're not just horses who can run and hit guys these these are these are footballers and the goal that keegan got on the on full mm-hmm. full sprint and outside the right boot into the corner just you know magical stuff but i mean you look at like after the game i was just thinking and, and i think everybody was thinking you know, jeez, oh, what what do Mayo have to do? Like, what more can Mayo do to actually get over the line and just just you know close the deal on one of these finals? And and after I was I was thinking about it, it's so tough on, on Dublin. Actually, if if Dublin were playing Kerry in that final, if they were playing Armagh or Tyrone or Donegal, everybody'd be talking about. You know what an incredible team this Dublin team are that they're after going back to back and and they'll be favourites to do three in a row next year and and they will be getting all the plaudits but because it's Mayo again and like the kind of overriding narrative is is like Jesus these poor guys like how are these guys ever going to get out of bed again you know they must be so depressed after this getting beaten again. Uh, it, you know, And Dublin are just missing a little bit of, of the kind of credit they probably deserve right now for, for being you know, one of those best teams of, of this generation or probably of any generation. You know?
1: But you can understand why that is, Mike, because it's so unparalleled. When you try and think of it in the context of any other sport worldwide, you'd, I think it'd be re- you'd be really hard pushed to find so many finals, so many semifinals and such a long distance between the last final. It's, it's not something that's just uh, out of the blue in Irish
6: sport. It's out of the blue in world sport. It's, it's, a, it's a completely separate phenomenon. Absolutely. I, I, and and look, ultimately, over 100, roughly 150 minutes of football in the two finals, Mayo kicked eight points from play. They kicked three points from play yesterday, or Saturday, excuse me. So so ultimately, the same feelings that have been recurring in, in Mayo, you know, if you want to be really harsh about it, for the last number of years and the last, you know, big games that they've lost have ultimately come down to an inability to put the ball over the bar put it into the net enough times they haven't they haven't got and i know we last year this was a big thing with killian o'connor and you know talking about marquee forwards like if mayo had a paul Ganey as well as as well as killian o'connor mm-hmm. if they had a you know a jamie clark if they had some guy who's a who's a shark in front of goals and is going to guarantee him one three or or guarantee him five points then, then they'd have won a lot of those big games. But the recurring theme for Mayo for as well as they are defensively and as tough and combative as they are around the middle of the field, is their inability to score. And three points from play and eight points over the course of 150 minutes from play just isn't going to get it done. And, and I mean... You know, you can look at you can look at the guys that they have, and you can look at the defenders they're producing, but they're not producing those kind of real, real an abundance of high-caliber forwards who are who are going to get the job done for you in a game that you need scores. It's a one-point or a level game. Those are separated by a little bit of genius by by somebody getting on a ball that they shouldn't win, beating the guy they shouldn't beat, and kicking it over the bar. And they just don't have that in their arsenal at the moment.
5: Yeah, the the unwillingness to have a shot at yeah. goal, even in the second half, that's what really struck me. I mean, Aidan O'Shea kicked a terrible wide, and Andy Moore kicked a very bad wide as well. They were actually the only two wides they kicked, and so so often you saw Mayo forwards have a have a chance. Think about, oh, is this a chance? And obviously, by the time they've thought that, the the, the chance is gone. And I just felt that that was the difference more so than more so than anything else. That just that that natural thing that you look for in a forward. That the second the ball is in their hand, it's on their laces, and it's over the bar in a split second. And Mayo just didn't have that at any stage.
4: I, I totally agree with that. <clears throat> I think uh, Parsons had nigh on 10 chances to pull the trigger, and he didn't do it. Doherty, a couple of times as well. Uh, McLaughlin uh, had probably another one on top of the point that he scored. Um, just, you know, that inability to realise, you know, when the shot is on, when to take it on. To be honest, more. Dublin did that a little bit too, yeah. Uh, especially early on, you know. You think the likes of Andrews and Mannion. Mannion seems to be one of those players that has to be in a certain situation, in a certain part of the field, in order to even have an attempt. A lot, I know a lot of that is based around uh, not giving the ball away, not turning the ball over, not kicking, you know, wide from silly angles. But there is a time where, you know, you're coming off the shoulder. You just gotta, you gotta let it fly and. Uh, football's changed in that respect we talked on last Thursday about uh, Kilkenny you know he's guilty of that as well he's a completely different footballer than what he was don't get me wrong towards the end of the game he won some serious possessions he's able to keep possession of the ball but just just thinking go on you know go on and, and kick a score and you know from from Mayo's point of view they're getting nothing from from anywhere okay they got they got a goal and what a goal and two from the half back line. nothing from midfield one point from the half four line, uh, and then you know obviously Killian O'Connor from freezing inside. But it's gonna take more than that. When I watched them play, um, Monaghan in the league this year, I thought Evan Regan is somebody that they're gonna have to persist with. They're gonna have to mould him, uh, and they got because he, he's a player. Okay, what their argument? The argument in Mayo is that he can't win his own ball when it comes into the four line. So what? Look at all the big men they have in there. You know what I mean? If if they play if they play O'Shea at the edge of the square and he was popping balls to the legs of Regan, one thing he is—he's accurate. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If you can get him the ball, bring on Barry Moran instead of Andy Moran. You know. Yeah.
5: You know. You know. You just felt at that stage that, right? Okay, maybe Barry Moran's going to catch a ball Mm. and and you know hand it off to someone and they're going to get a goal, but. What are the chances of that actually happening? Now they didn't even—they sent one ball in. There <laughs> That's that, what I was
4: going to say. Especially if you're not going to kick it in normally. Like, yeah, you know? I
5: just—you know—it—it—it just—it struck me as—it struck me as weird, you know—that—that—that that, that n- no player can even say, "God, I wish I," you know, "I wish I," "I wish I hadn't taken the kick that wide," you yeah. know. No one even has that yeah, regret, yeah. you know. That just pass it off and pass it off and pass it off, and in the end, the no, chance. I just don't know why outside.
4: you were sitting sitting for the game off, but I was sitting in the Cusick stand. Shamey O'Shea put in an absolute he, yeah, he a monster yeah. of a game as far as his tackling, his chasing back, the work he done around the middle of the field. Yeah. But I, I actually don't know when you look at Fenton on the opposite side, I just don't know if that's enough anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe you can afford a Shammy O'Shea if you have somebody dynamic and somebody who's able to get forward and get two or three points in a game playing alongside him. Like a file. Like O'Shea is a file for mm. whoever else who was able to do that. Obviously, they don't maybe have that player, but um you know Parsons probably had as many possessions as anybody on the field, and yet very little come off it yeah uh
5: we we talked on Thursday, Mike, about someone going crazy, you know the, just the, the name that we didn't expect. Uh, making a making a pivotal different difference in the game. I don't know if we'd stayed talking for another hour afterwards. If any of us would have mentioned Cormac Costello, but he was the man. I mean, he he won the, he won this all Ireland for Dublin. I mean, when the game needed breaking open, he broke it open.
6: Yeah, and and you know I remember him playing his his first his first senior game above it it was a it was a national league game above in Croke Park, uh, first round of the national league and Paul Murphy actually and Paul Murphy from from Kerry was marking him, uh, and it was Paul Murphy's first national league game, and and they kind of they broke about even but but he looked like like even back then he looked like an absolute certainty to be a championship starter and that was that was that was probably three years ago and he, he's gone off the boy a little bit since but. I, I I read him higher than Manion. I I couldn't believe he wasn't playing more. And and it's impact. I I spoke I spoke about this before about you know in the GA we've got a we've got a really you know, it's all about the 15 that start. You know, it's, it's we've got the all-stars for the 15, and it's, it's all about those guys. And if you don't make that 15, it's, it's you know, fellas are, are walking around with their head in the sand for a while. Like, the GA really, you know, like having an NBA in the basketball, they have a six-man-of-the-year award. You know, we, we need to start giving some, something to the GA to, to, like, an impact sub-of-the-year award to get these guys a bit of recognition. Because oftentimes, like, four points, you know, with, with Brogan, who was kind of lucky that he, you know, he got blocked down there in the last one, and that could have led to an equaliser and he would have got a bit of a stick but i mean three points off the bench in those circumstances which equaled the entire of uh, entirety of Mayo's contribution from play uh, in terms of points obviously he got the goal as well from play but from from points he equaled Mayo's point to- uh, from play total and you know it was just you know you needed somebody that that came out of the shadows to come on. Maybe Barry Moran was going to catch a ball and bang a goal. You needed somebody to do something and Dublin. Had all those aces as they've had in the past. Now their scoring return from their bench has declined this year, kind of significantly. But you know this this was this was the moment for him. And whether it was not starting Brogan and bring him on, he didn't score the last day. He gets a point and. You know, in in his twenty minutes when he's on the pitch, and it was just a huge, it's a huge thing to have that kind of punch and that firepower off the bench. You know, Fitzmaurice didn't start the last day, and he was, you know, man of the match, obviously, and they've massive impact off the bench, and and Mayo. Again, I, I was boggled by, by Barry Moore in one. You know, how they're not bringing on a forward when they need a score desperately. I know they, they put him in full forward, but really he wasn't going to, I know he won a scorable free from the 21 or whatever, but it wasn't going to be a change that was really going to say, we're going to take in this game, we're going to scoring, we're going at you. And, uh, you know, they probably, got what they, they probably got what they asked for with that.
1: Mike, you mentioned how this, uh, Mark Stublin is a great team now. They'll be going for the three in the row next year. How high on the all-time list are the stubborn team, do you think?
6: Oh, it's 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 scary to be honest. You know, like I I keep I keep going back to the fact that Jack McCaffrey was watching that game from the stands, and Rory O'Carroll was wherever he was. You know, these guys were a footballer of the year and an all star last last year, and Dublin, you know, put in another two guys, uh, John Small um, and uh, who am I missing? Davy Byrne. And they, they, they're they're without these two all stars, and their defense didn't miss a beat. You know, they were, you know, they were just, they just kept going. And next year, you're going to be adding Jack McCaffrey into the backs and possibly, possibly Rory back into fullback. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's scary, the options they have. And Karmic Costello is going to gain huge confidence out of his contribution to the final. Mannion's going to, you know, you know, whatever retirements they have, they are best suited more than anybody else to cope with those retirements and to drive on again next year. Yeah. And just the way they talk about, you know, where, you know, whether it's Jim's mind-boggling philosophy has them brainwashed into this whole, every individual game as its own entity, you know, and even the way that, that, that Connolly spoke after the game about they weren't talking about defending an All-Ireland, they were talking about attacking a new one, um, and I, I just think they're, you know, if they don't win it next year again, it's going to be some incredible kind of a team that's going to beat them, you know, and three in a row, three in a row in the modern era would be, I don't know if it would ever be surpassed, to be honest.
4: Yeah, no, I'm just going to say probably the only person to lose realistically is Bastic. You know, apart from that, I think you know everybody's gonna stay. That's pretty ominous. I've had a few guys through college from Dublin, and honestly, uh, a couple in particular, two boys in particular, but uh, they would walk on to any other county team. These guys aren't even in the forty-five. Do you know what I mean? That's it's insane. You know, just the sort of talent that they have, and anybody who gets the opportunity to watch the Dublin championship and just sees, I know not every player playing in that championship is from Dublin. But to see, just to go down the country and compare it to, to other championships, I mean, like it's ferocious. Like, it's, it's just of a, of a much higher quality than it is anywhere else. Sounds
1: pretty ominous for Mayo in particular, Murph.
4: Well, it does. You know, it does. And it, but at the same time... We're still going to be talking, I think, about the same three teams at this time yeah. next year. Dublin, Kerry, Mayo.
5: Yeah, and it, like Dublin can still only play 20 of these guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like obviously, it is scary. And if, if, you, you know, if you watch the Dublin Club Championship, it's on a different planet to, to yeah. other clubs but I mean at the same time you know you they, they, they can still only play 15 of them and you know Tipperary used as many players as Dublin did to get yeah. to an All-Iron semi-final you know what I mean they, like Tipperary who, have the bear, who would say have the bare mm. 15 of like 12 players capable of playing to an Inter-County standard when at the All-Iron semi-final stage they had used 23 players and Dublin had used 24 in the course of the championship and Dublin were playing games where all they have to, the only thing that they could get from games in the Leicester Championship was a chance to run the bench. Yeah. You know, so I mean, obviously, you know, you can you can paint this any way you like, but it goes back to that that thing that winners get to write their own history. You know, Michael Fitzsimmons had a brilliant game, and you know, probably did deserve to be man of the match. He soloed the ball for forty yards. He was twenty-five yards out in front of the goal yeah. in the last it's minute tough. of an All Ireland final, and the last thing he wanted to do was kick the ball over the bar. And he he managed to mess up a situation where you would back a junior B player yeah. to do the right thing. I mean, you know, obviously we can say Dublin are absolutely brilliant, and they are. I mean, Brian Fenton has yet to lose a game as a Dublin footballer. Yeah. You know, and he's played for eighteen months. At the same time, this is not an All Ireland final that they went out and blew Mayo no, away. Absolutely, not. you know, like you you can say right, you know, what 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 next for Mayo? You know, like how you know how desperate is their situation? Their situation was, I mean you know, they should have gone to extra time. You know, Killian O'Connor would back himself to kick that free. Uh, Dublin had a chance to kill them off even after that and failed to take that chance. Do you, I mean, you know, like, they're, obviously, they're, you know, you can say what you like. Dublin are the All-Ireland Champions, so basically they can do whatever the hell they like, you know, and they but, we we can say whatever we like about them.
4: But. Do you remember the time that McManaman run through and Conley was off his shoulder and he managed not to end yeah. up getting the ball to him? I mean, like, I mean, Dublin had so many opportunities. You talk about Fitzsamen's last thing. I mean, why not? Kick the thing over yeah. the bar. He's Fist the ball over the bar. Yeah, like any any anything, just get it over the bar. And to to want to shift it off to somebody else, that's that's sort of where football is though more for yeah. the minute.
5: Yeah, it, it it's true. You know, I mean this idea that you've got to get it into a shooter. I mean, at the end of the day, you're an intercounty footballer, just kick the ball over the bar, you know, without a second thought. But I mean, you know, you're getting into we're getting into a different argument because at the end of the day, Dublin have won two all Irelands, mm. they're unbeaten. They, they're exceptional Sorry Mark, we love us if we born.
1: Yeah, yeah, congratulations on getting a correct score prediction by the way or correct, correct uh, prediction for the game is on... Uh Absolutely, your ballsy call with yeah, the double again, victory. Yeah, <laughs> again, six or seven uh, points. He said, but we we'll let that slide. Mike <laughs> You predicted a Mayo victory, so your championship ultimately ends in disgrace. <laughs>
6: yeah, well, you know what? If I said I said maybe Mayo by a point. So if you if you if you count back there, one point is to a draw. One point, like I'm I'm probably closer than than uh, than he was. Really <laughs> that actually math, true. You know? That is actually true. Uh, yeah. And I can't believe I cannot believe the two of you are criticizing Michael Fitzsimons a cornerback for hand-passing the ball to Bernard Brogan on the loop 13 metres out from the Mayo goal from a coaching perspective I'm shocked I'm shocked that you
1: <laughs> kick the ball
6: that you are encouraging bar. the corner back coming up the field <laughs> your corner back has to be as comfortable on the ball it as, it as your corner forward on your team. I'm, I'm, I'm appalled and shocked that you're <laughs> at your coaching uh, Wouldn't happen in uh, advice there
1: <laughs> thanks a million lads, thanks, nobody lads. Nobody
4: I've lost
0: it. The first minister's name, Kieran Murphy, our second captain, and John Henderson for Michael Kenny and Wignall Herbert. Thank you both, indeed, for that. Uh, that's our lot for today. Just one headline: the British Prime Minister Theresa May is to meet the Taoiseach Enda Kenny in London tomorrow. This morning, she's at Stormont meeting
1: Martin McGuinness and uh, also Theresa. Sorry, I've lost it. The first minister's name,
5: Arlene Arlene Foster. Thank you for that.
1: Murphy, you did so well during that GAA slot that I thought you deserved a new bed. Oh, thanks, man. That's the first time it's been played in the podcast, McDevitt and Early trying to keep you down, you know?
5: I know. I, I mean, I, I, the second I did it, I said, well, I'm sure we'll be hearing about that now all the time. That's like a one-a-week kind of a bed. You know, you mm-hmm. got to play that all the time. And nothing. Crickets. Since ever you, since it happened.
1: Since you burned the political kingpin, Sean O'Rourke, have your uh, manoeuvrings for the Orochters Report job? Have they borne fruit?
5: Well... Mark, it may surprise you to hear this, but it's all politics trying to get the Iraqis <laughs> report job. I can tell you, it's it's quite frustrating. You know, I mean, if it was done just on a purely who's the best man or woman for the job, you know, I think I've I've done enough. I think I've enough credit in the bank. I'm still waiting
1: for the phone call, Mark. Uh, so, just going on. back to just going back to the Mayo lads. How much criticism do you think those lads will take back home? We were talking about this immediately after the match on on Saturday. Is it more that? Discussions about the final with Mayo people are completely unavoidable. So, yeah. when Rob Henley or Killian O'Connor are strolling around, everyone will be referring to one thing, even if it's not an overtly negative, A critical, or critical yeah, sense. Yeah. But, you know, it's not like they'll be slagged off at home in Mayo, but it's just the only thing people will be talking about.
5: Yeah, well, during club games, I presume it'll get mentioned. Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe uh, club football in Mayo is different to every other footballing environment I've ever played in, but if it's not, then it probably will get mentioned quite a bit. I mean, if Killian O'Connor gets a free from that position in the field in a over game at any stage over the next four or five mm. weeks, I mean, you know. But it's it's that's maybe the easier stuff to handle. You know, like if you're out playing a football game, then, you know, you have an answer. You know, the, the answer is in the playing of the game and the winning of the game. It's really, it's just, the you know, the out for a few drinks and some guy who's had a few more drinks and he decides to come up. And it's not even so much this, this idea that why didn't you kick the free? It's more well having taken frees myself for the Ballyharnas Junior A team. I think that maybe I'm in a position to be able to, you know, let's not miss it on the near side, Killian mm. kind of nonsense, you know. And like that's the really horrible thing about it. And I mean, it's football and it's Mayo. I mean, it, it's it's uh, it's the the pastime of the county. There's no no one in Mayo is unaware of who Killian O'Connor is or Rob Henley even. And uh, yeah, like that's the tough thing, you know. But all you can do, I suppose, is just. Right, throw your shoulders back and just say, "Right, this is it's horrible." The, the people that are, are saying stuff to me, the the good natured ones don't know what I'm going through. The bad, the ones the the really bad natured ones, they don't have a clue either. So I don't think it's going to get a lot worse than inside Killian O'Connor's head for the next couple of days. After that, everything is an improvement. I I mm. hope
1: they just have to win one. You yeah. know, it's it's when you were talking about the fans in and Croak Park, I was there for the for the the first final, and it just struck me it was exactly the same. Nobody was enjoying it. The Mayo, any Mayo fans surrounding me, weren't at any point, even when they were leading with with mm. um, I think six or seven minutes to go in the first game when they went up a point. Nobody was smiling. Nobody was really. It was just. It still was always a pained expression, mm. and it just struck me when my brother. When Shane used to play for Leinster and used to play for Ireland, and when it came to the stage when Leinster were similarly, you know, um, described in newspapers as you know per, the perennial losers and mm. were you know um, kind of a kind of sense of the team that they were in comparison to, to Munster, that it just wasn't enjoyable um, going to any of those games as you know a brother or uh, for him was just a case of this nothing mattered apart from just getting one win and for turning a corner. And it's almost it seems that. It's the only thing I could compare it to is that uh, what a family (laughs) would almost be going through until one of their family members, you know, succeeds in something he's been trying to do for 10 years is now, in the case of Mayo, it's county wide. And it's, you know, because (laughs) it's it's 51 and all the rest, as absurd as that sounds, it's almost the heartbreak that those people are carrying (laughs) has just a much more personal feeling than anything I've ever seen.
5: Yeah. And that idea as well, that, you know, you can just get judged on your merits then after you've after you've won something, mm. you know, so it's not, it's not even a case that you can go down as, as legends or heroes or anything like that. It's just once you've won one, then you just, you you slot into the, the realm of all Ireland final winning teams and you can say, right, well, for five or six years, they've been consistently an excellent team. So that's their career. That's great. But up until up until that happens, I mean people could say whatever they liked about that Leinster team. I mean it was you know, they were a pinata mm. for any mm. rugby pundit who wanted to make a name for himself or anyone who just wanted to just, you know, say something cutting and
1: And they won once and everything changed.
5: Yeah. And like that like that's the thing, you know, that like there's you can say, well, we don't believe that. You know, we, we don't believe that we're losers or we're bottlers. Mm. But until they won one they they kinda didn't have an answer for it. All they had an answer for was between themselves saying, Well, we're gonna change this. Everyone else just could just had a free shot at them. And we've seen that since as well, that people just take free shots at Mayo and that's that's it. That's you know. Unfortunately, Mayo people just have to accept that rather than rebelling against it. That's the same thing for this Mayo team. I mean, Killian O'Connor is twenty four years old. Yeah, it's insane. He's had he he's had a career of four intercounty footballers in the space of however long he's been playing for Mayo. I mean he's gone through more big games, done more amazing things, suffered more heartbreaking defeats than any four footballers that I could that you could sit down and choose. Uh and he's twenty he's got another ten years of this left. You know, so all he has to do is win one and then you know then he can just get on then he can get on with his life and everyone in Mayo can just get on with their lives. And until that happens it kind of feels like they're in a state of suspended animation, you know, just waiting for this thing to happen so they can just kick back into normal.
1: Can the football show's available now. Let's find out what's in the aforementioned football show.
3: That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well,
1: yeah, you can laugh. I'm
0: a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me.
3: You don't know what you're
0: talking
6: about. What did you know? I'd like like to it. stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it
3: to you, it well, to you now. Mean, to I'm down Twanfield and we'll see them, right? what we? What you doing down here? You're showing me, man.
2: Well, it was a very special football show because we had uh, well, Richie Sadler. A special Richie Sadler in the studio with us for the entire duration. Uh, so we talked about all the football on the weekend, including the FAI Cup semis and what Dundalk's success Means for the League of Ireland and whether it's entirely welcomed by everybody who's part of it. Apparently not.
1: Don O'Neill says England lose the Ryder Cup, all six players losing the singles. This is Brexit for you, Ken. The happiest people of all this weekend were people like yourself, Dubs Uh, of
2: the true blue variety, who are
1: are also pro Brexit. You got a defeat for Europe, like you asked for.
2: (laughs) Uh, I did, yeah. Well, I don't. I don't take that much pride in the European golf team. What? I mean, it's it's kind of funny actually because I am a I am a kind of a
5: you're a committed European. A Euro-weenie. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I do believe that we should try to work together, the peoples of this troubled continent, this ancient boneyard of Europe. You know, we should try and join hands uh, and and, uh, and work together. And yet, when we get together to play golf, I just really don't care. Um,
5: but did you not hear Bubba Watson? I mean, that's how, that's what this tournament means.
2: Well, it's, it's interesting that it means that much to Bubba, Bubba Watson, all right. I was kind of surprised by, um, surprised by that. What, what he,
1: about how much it meant to Rory McIlroy?
2: Well, Rory McIlroy just doesn't like. I mean, Rory McIlroy is obviously a big competitor. Mm. Uh, in I'd, I'd say he's one of these guys. You know, who uh, he'd be the same now if you were playing cards against them. You know, he'd, geez, he jeez, you wouldn't want to play Rory McIlroy ping pong. I'd say he's one mm. of those kinds of guys. So when people are screaming abuse at him from the crowd, and golf players aren't really used to that kind of stuff. That, uh, I guess he kind of gets his juices flowing in a way that maybe just that circle of yellow stars in a blue background alone can't quite <laughs> can't quite do but, Mark,
1: you know. Mark Wayne tweeted us to say McElroy showed no class and showed how stupid and arrogant he is <laughs> wow. were you a fan of Rory Macho Man McElroy Murph yeah, he's, yeah. Is, he's actually as ripped as Ric Flair now yeah and did a serious <laughs> woo yeah. there on the, on the <laughs> yeah. egg green. no I mean
5: I, well I, I there was very little to dislike in uh, Rory McElroy completely losing his mind for Turning like 4 into or a 5 wrestler. seconds I mean yeah like come on he's getting abused from a mm. height by like really some of the most easy to dislike people in the world I mean the Ryder Cup every 4 years when it's held in America I mean we should thank it for corralling 50,000 really not people that I'd be looking to spend a whole lot of time with in one place and get them to act as boorishly as possible and
1: describe the scene on that 8th green then
5: ok so uh, it's a part 3 uh, Patrick Reed, uh hits his shot to about 20 feet Rory's got uh, put the length the entire length of the green about 55 or 60 foot he's and just
1: had a confrontation with somebody on the 7th yep. a fan who's been ejected from the from the course
5: yeah and uh, he gets up to this putt. I mean himself and Reed have been shooting the lights out completely for the uh, preceding 7 holes uh, birdies all, birdies all over the shop putts going in from all over the place uh, Reed is you know shouting a lot. Like he's like mainlining adrenaline. Uh Rory steps up, rolls the put in for 55 feet, uh, goes completely mental, cups his ears, you can hear him hear him shouting, I can't hear you <laughs> multiple times. And then of course Reed rolls in his put for twenty feet. He goes completely mental. And then they fist pump and it completely that act of cordiality and sportsmanship completely kills the atmosphere for about three holes until they were actually, listen, we, we do hate each other again. And they start rolling puts in again. Rory but hadn't
1: calmed down by the eighteen two, Here he was at the press conference afterwards.
0: I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look.
1: That is, of course, <laughs> not Rory, but the American dream. JB Holmes. Is just a
0: little big. My <laughs> hand is just a little big But brother I am bad And they know I'm bad
1: Actually my favourite player of the day Was young Thomas Peters From Belgium Who played and beat J.B. Holmes He beat him with, uh, He beat him actually relatively easily yeah. But he got four points uh, From four games Which is a record for any novice But also He said he wasn't getting Too much abuse Because no one knew who he was <laughs> And he Constantly refused to give uh, Holmes any tap-ins. It yeah. was driving, him, driving Holmes insane. Really, whole really funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but disgraceful scenes, as you mentioned, uh, from the crowd, of course, Ken. Uh, Philip Reed wrote in the Irish Times today, Ugly, uncouth, unacceptable. And as an example of how the few can outshout the many to pour poisonous venom into a system, the behaviour of a number of USA golf fans and their manic verbal abuse of European players at this 41st Ryder Cup at Hazeltine outside Minneapolis has smeared it all. It's been nasty. So just to give you an example, Sergio Garcia was getting abuse. Um, it's in quotes here. Sergio, you suck! And then, no European player emerged unscathed. Thomas Peters? Peters, you're a dork! <laughs> it's in quotes in this piece. <laughs> so that's a kind of indicator of what sort of abuse they had to put up with. A dork. <sighs> they may have to play this right up behind closed
5: doors. <laughs> Cisco Moscow style who knows
1: <laughs> Lawrence Donnegan joins us on the line now to talk about this we've been talking about the fans at Hazeltine already uh, Lawrence you like a decent crowd around a golf course are you a fan of the wrestler-esque golfer celebrations and the venom that uh, Philip Reid was talking about in the Irish Times today
3: uh, am I a fan um, on balance probably yes but I mean just sometimes I mean we can, golfers and golf and golf in general can be a bit precious about all this kind of stuff I mean they want it both ways I'm sure you don't watch, but I sometimes watch the European Tour on a Thursday afternoon, the Austrian <laughs> Open, and it looks like a wide open field. Uh, so you, you kind of like that. I mean, it's once every two years. I mean, I know there's the occasional guy that has too much to drink or or gal perhaps has too much to drink, but um, I think you just kind of have to take it. You know, take the you, you know for for what the Ryder Cup brings and the attention it brings. I just sometimes think you have to swallow these things. So on balance, uh, I would have it rather than not
1: where do you tow the line? Abuse of players or is it is it any shouting at the backswing or what is it?
3: Oh, the shouting at the backswing, I'm sorry. I mean, get, get a life. I think, uh, was it two years ago and um, it was, no, it was it Medina? Bubba Watson started this whole thing of uh, the crowd on the first tee cheering loudly as he hit his, hit his drive. I mean, why not, you know? Towing the line, obviously, uh, physical abuse would, would not be, a, you went up and popped somebody in the nose, I don't think that would be acceptable but, um yeah, I mean, I know McElroy got a couple, I think he got one guy thrown out on Saturday, um, which is fair enough. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, there is a kind of line, but there's a there's a line anywhere, isn't there? I mean, there's a line at football games and there's a line at, you know, there's a line in every sporting arena. But um, I, I, as I say, I think golf can be a bit too precious. About it. I, I actually quite like a bit of noise. The, the whole thing in the first tee is great. Um, why not? You know, as I say, mm-hmm. it's once every two years and look. Here we are in, uh the day after it all, and we're, we're talking about it. The whole world is talking about it. It's uh, anything that brings attention to the sport. My goodness, it, it could do with it.
1: It's also the thing we most remember about the Ryder Cup, and it's the thing that brings us back to it every time. We're actually hoping that something like Brooklyn will happen again. We're hoping that when uh, Sam Terrence lost, his, his, uh, lost the rag with Tom Lehman or when there's a bit of abuse at Monty or when the Azinger celebrating like that, that's exactly what we want out of the Ryder Cup. We want to be annoyed by the Americans, and then we want to beat them.
3: It's all... You know, it's all part of the thing. It's Absolutely. Um So, I, I, again, and here we are. We're still talking about Brookline in 1999. The only people who don't want to talk about these things uh, are the players. I remember, um I think it was before 2008. I, I, no, it was a laugh about. It was 2012. And he was asked about uh, your Brookline. And, my goodness, he almost bit our heads off because he, he didn't want to talk about it. But everybody wants to talk about it. You know, everybody wants to talk about uh Hey Monty, eat a salad. You remember all the Americans were shouting at Monty in 1999. I, again, it was slightly over the line, but I'm, I'm get a life. You know, I'm kind of fed up with the kind of prissy nature of this whole thing. Golf, it's not. I mean, we're not living in 1933 anymore, or whatever 1950. I mean, move with the times, you know. And, and some of the players, I see the legs of Bubba Watson. And I mean, look at, the way Patrick Reed went on, that was absolutely. I mean, it, I mean, not my cup of tea personally. I mean, I don't do that myself on the links of a Sunday afternoon. But uh, I mean, it was. I mean, it was quite good fun, you know, mm. watching him and McIlroy going out it. Was absolutely brilliant.
5: Yeah. The um, and I suppose you might, might as well move on to Reed because I mean, the the Americans obviously desperately needed to win uh, this weekend. The tournament itself maybe needed an American win, and they have as their hero um, <laughs> one of the most disliked players on the, the PGA Tour. A man who's been accused of cheating and stealing uh, from his college roommates in a book that was released in January of last year. Um, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's not the hero that they want, but he's the hero they need right now.
3: Uh, yeah, my goodness. He's, he is the archetypal American, obnoxious American, isn't he? So I, I feel a bit sorry for America to have him uh, as his hero. Yeah, he has been somewhat rehabilitated since, uh, since his days at college. I mean, Shane Ryan's book is well worth reading. I recommend it to anybody. Uh, some great investigation into uh, Reed's past uh, at college, uh, where he was utterly loathed by everybody he played alongside. Uh, apparently that's now changed. Everybody loves him. Um, that was an epic, that, that was a real, that see, that almost, the, the kind of tactics of the Ryder Cup, uh, uh, that was really, both captains, okay, you're, you're best guy against my guy, I would have bet my life that Rory would would have beaten him, um, but yeah, Reid was uh, extraordinary the whole week, I mean there was, I, I don't know how, you know, they'll be playing golf next week on the PGA Tour or whatever, or wherever they go, the, the circus travels to whatever, and you know What's Patrick Reid going to do? I mean, last time I saw you, Patrick, you were bellowing like an ape going down the fairway. I mean, it was uh, extraordinary behaviour. Uh, but again, all part of the fun, part of the colour, but it was uh, great
1: stuff. 17-11 is actually a pretty big kicking, though, Lawrence. So was there anything Darren Clark uh, could have done differently or once five rookies had qualified automatically is kind of the writing on the wall?
3: Uh Yeah, I mean, you're kind of loath to because it is. I mean, it really is all always all about the players. I mean, you could if you were you were interested, you would have a and a few people are actually you would have a go. Clark's got a few, you know, he's picked up a few enemies down the years, a few guys, a few press guys that he's uh, rubbed up the wrong way, and there'll be a bit of this and that about it. But even, you know, the big one is you know picking picking Westwood as. um as a captain's pick, I mean, I thought it was a pretty decent idea. You know, the guy wasn't in an amazing form, but he, uh, you know, had decent enough form and he had good experience. K- K- Kamer's another one, you know, decent form. But you, the big thing was the s- Saturday afternoon putting out uh, Westwood again. That was crazy. Mm-hmm. But he w- I'm sure he wouldn't have done it because um, Cabrera, Bello, uh, him and uh, him and Garcia had been playing really well. And, and Clark had to announce his picking, his pairs for the Saturday afternoon. While you know Garcia and Cabrera were out, and, still, and they, they they came back on Saturday morning and and played really well. So that was a you know you wouldn't certainly wouldn't have stuck Westwood and Willett uh, out on Saturday afternoon. I mean that putt. I mean there's two crucial moments. The the, the putt the last putt on Saturday night. Well, was Westwood from two feet. Oh, my goodness, that was like one one of my putting strokes. That was pretty tragic. And then uh, and then the, the Reed mcelroy deal on, on on Sunday. But I mean. <laughs> You know, it's mostly captains, and you know, six points is a massive win in, in a Ryder Cup context. So I, I'm sure, um, you know, Clark was just about enough goodwill. There'll be a few stray voices out there, but that'll be, you know, there'll be a bit more than just what happened at the weekend behind that, I would imagine. So I think mean, by and by, he did a pretty good job with, with what he had.
1: To sum up, Lawrence, we're all agreed the Ryder Cup did need a US win, and maybe even a slightly abusive American Ryder Cup win helped the event even more, I think. So thanks a million.
3: Okay, all the best, mate. What are you saying? You're just a phony, man. This is just what-
0: I don't look like the athlete of the day, supposed to look. This ain't wrestling. This ain't the WWE, baby. My belly's just a little big. My heart is just a little big. This is just an act that you're doing. You should be an actor. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. I'll never do that. There were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's
3: dead, brother. And the other was right here. Oh, you can wear you them out like you're a preacher and all that you want. But baby, I promise you, I will baptize you. Oh.
1: Each time. Murph, Danny Willett hasn't exactly covered himself in glory these past few days. Dandy Willett? Is that what you just called him? No, well, I, if he was an American <laughs> golfer, that's what he'd be called. <laughs> Dandy Willett.
5: Uh, he really hasn't. He played terribly. Um, but the week, of course, started with his brother. Uh, and we should say it's his brother. It's not actually yeah. Danny that wrote this. But he wrote, you know, an article saying how... Fat and greedy and senseless The American golf fans were That
1: everyone w- made way too much of Including yeah. Sky and all Oh journalists. my god, god
5: Literally the first thing that they said on Friday morning the, the Ryder Cup is just about to start Everyone is obviously pretty excited If you're watching the Sky Sports coverage And the first thing they say is There's Rory McIlroy walking into the locker room uh, There's Justin Rose walking into the locker room Welcome to Sky Sports coverage of the Ryder Cup A week overshadowed by Danny Willett's brother's article I mean <laughs> What are you talking about? Like completely insane stuff But uh, anyway, Danny Willett was tweeting in the early hours of this morning. Very strange week here at the Ryder Cup. Tried my best but played played poorly. Unfortunately, some American fans showed that at PJ Willett was in fact correct. Nothing to blame my bad play on, but still shows that sometimes fans don't know when to call it a day. Shame, really. Which was a sort of a passive-aggressive ending to the the tweet that I didn't really like. But... uh, yeah, I mean, uh, completely completely insane, you know? Like, insane that PJ Willett's article would have Darren Clark apologising to America on behalf of the European Ryder Cup team as if it had anything to do with the European Ryder Cup team. Uh, talking about a conversation that he, you know, probably didn't even hear between Danny Willett and his brother. You know, presuming that Danny Willett is going to, you know, lay into his brother. I mean, I don't know what the... Like, the, the only sane answer to that was, well... Yeah, PJ, whatever, you know, he's nothing to do he with us. He wrote a terrible piece. Yeah, he's nothing to do with us. Danny's absolutely fine. Why would Danny be upset by it? It's his brother. Mm. Next question. That's it. But, like, Darren Clark is saying how upset Danny Willett was and how, you know, it's a terrible thing to have happened to the team. It's just like, you know, guys, he's willing to, he's happy to write whatever the hell he wants to write. It shouldn't have anything to do with Darren Clark or his team. But, uh, yeah, there you go. I mean, <laughs> now you know the Danny Villa tweeting at you know 1am local time that's probably not an amazingly smart thing to do either but there you go
1: today was kind of a historic show because it's the first time Hathaway has made an appearance uh, in any capacity um yeah on the podcast which course, i think is yeah. a, a positive day yeah ah oh, hopefully will cheer some Mayo uh, fans up that bit of knowledge but Ken uh, i was actually remembering the last time you were speaking to Hathaway when we used to do the radio show mm. and i listened back to some of the audio cuz we had it mm-hmm. and i forgot that he was trying to at the time, Hadaway was the official entertainer at your 2008, Murph. Of course. And this was in a nightclub setting, I believe. And uh, It was
2: in the, uh, the city of Innsbruck's uh, delightful uh, media center which, in which they had free food and free booze all day, every day. <laughs> Hadaway was performing to a crowd of one person. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, uh, no, uh, I wasn't. I, I was Hadaway was performing in the next room, when I was actually in, eating and, and drinking. Mm. But then when he was finished, he came in, and, and uh, we could have a chat.
1: Here's a short little clip. Well, what's next for you? What's next for Hadaway? <laughs> right now, my seven Dr. album, we've got a track
0: on the market call, "I Love the '90s." It's doing very well in Scandinavia. <laughs>
5: <laughs> Big moment for
1: Hadaway. But
5: uh, what's next for you? What's next for Hadaway?
1: But Hathaway, in that interview, was referring to how he's such a big star that he doesn't need a passport when he's going through security. And also that he, when he goes through security, he also, at one time, he likes to carry around large amounts of cash with him and had 40 grand on him recently, carried it through security. In Munich, yeah. Yeah, and then it went off. And he produced a a tax statement (laughs) to you that he had in his person at that time to show how much the authorities had taken off him.
2: German tax police had had detected his brick of cash with the metal detector and had taxed him which is disgust, but it was alright because he made so much cash from touring around former where that came from former Soviet republics yeah. uh, playing at oligarchs Sweet 16 birthday parties so that's a living again uh, it's a pretty it was a lucrative living as he was at pains to explain he showed me a lot of boarding passes you'll never guess who I've got to play at my Sweet 16 who Beyonce
4: well,
2: well Hadaway <laughs> but you know whatever yeah, so we could uh,
1: really do it a Ken Hadaway update, couldn't we?
2: Yeah, that'd be great, but I don't know. He's in Innsbruck. You've lost we? touch. He's probably, he's probably in Innsbruck. He's apparently owns two apartments in Innsbruck. He was telling so you this is old was he? Could, Yeah, it could be in one of them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, that's all for today, everyone. Make sure you listen to the football show that's available right now. Tweet us at Second Captains and come back to us on Thursday for two more podcasts with Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Murph Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Grant. And thank you for listening. And sorry, again, Mayo.
3: It's the second time it's done. Oh! They never
2: go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those those those
0: boys.